Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. Um, I'm talking to Jacob Perkins today about all sorts of things, uh, both sporting, commercial, and resilience, of course. Uh, and we're going to talk about speed skating. So, uh, oh, speed skiing, I think. Is that right, uh, Jacob? Mm-hmm. Have I already yes, started with the wrong sport? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's get started there. So we'll, we'll tell us a little bit about what this thing is that you do. Yeah, so speed skiing is an extreme sport. Basically, our skiers ski in a straight line in a tuck um, as fast as possible through the finish line and the top speed wins. So is, is it like a downhill sport, is it? Yes. Yeah. It's a typically run off of an extremely steep uh, course. And then there's a super long run out section at the bottom because uh, we're skiing extremely fast. Um, Not uncommon for speeds to uh, reach uh, 200 kilometers an hour or faster. Wow. And and I guess we've seen these sorts of things at the Olympics, is it? Because you see that, but is that because they jump at the end of it? Is that the difference? Oh, well, that's that's ski jumping. And uh, they're also going very fast off the bottom of a jump. The ski jumpers typically are going 60 to 70 miles an hour uh, when they uh, take off from the jump. Um, However, uh, speed skiing was actually in the 92 Olympics. Um, It was a demonstration uh, sport in Albertville. and uh, we're actually hoping that speed skiing uh, makes its uh, way back into the Olympic program in 2026 or 2030. So I'm guessing you must be, because uh, any extreme sp- sport like this or any sport that's operated at a high level is, is a lot about failure, rectification, incremental gains, constant evolution, constant tinkering. I mean, is that true? And, and how does that work? Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, extremely uh, uh, tough sport, um, both mentally and physically. And typically, typically, um, I mean, you will you will have ups and downs and crashes, and um, you really have to have a long term vision and and know where you're trying to go, and um, you have to put goals in place. Um, that are incremental. Um, you know, you're not going to get to your inside if you want to ski 200 kilometers an hour. You're not going to do that on your first run. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can you can set goals to getting towards that, and um, you have to look at it um, at a long term perspective. 
So before coming to the technology, talk to me about the mental side of this, because I'm guessing you have to have quite a lot of confidence to go hurtling down a hill that fast. Yes. Yeah. It's extremely difficult at the start because um, typically, like I was saying, the tracks are extremely steep, extremely long, um, and it can almost look like you're looking out the window of a plane when you're at the start run of a track. Um, so, the people at the bottom. So tell us about that. How, how high? Well, first of all, how did you get that high? But how high <laughs> are you? And bring that to life for, for me a bit, if you would. Yes. Yeah, so um, the, the tracks are somewhere between um, 400 and 800 meters tall. So a couple thousand feet tall. Um, I've seen uh, one speed skier make a reference, like picture the Eiffel Tower and imagine skiing off the top of it. Oh, wow. But it's extremely high up. And um, a lot of times at the start, we're either at the very top of the hill or we're on or we go off the side um, on a very steep section. So you walk out and then you jump off um, either the platform into the track or uh, push off right on the side of the track. Uh, to get up to the, the start, actually, that's one of the hardest things in speed skiing because the tracks are so steep and there's cliffs on the side and uh, you oftentimes have to use uh, ropes or climbing gear to get in position. Um, it's quite a challenge with your super long skis of 240 centimeters to try to get into position and uh, get set up for the run. I say if you can get to the start, uh, you, you're usually good. So, so, so are, you, are you doing that thing where you sit on, at the top of a huge mountain or structure and then you have to sort of stand up and then not fall over? Because I'm guessing there must be an accidental start from time to time, is it? Um, it, it yeah, it can happen. Um, our skis are doled at the uh, tips and tails to keep them from hooking up at the side of uh, high speeds. And uh, it, it can be challenging at the start. Um to make sure you you don't have an accidental start and you're communicating with the race crew and everything. Um, and uh, it is challenging while you're standing on the side of the hill. Um, but a lot of times there's some sort of uh, platform or, or what I call a cat track across the hill uh, where you can um, kind of rest. Yes. So, so you're, you're just about to adopt the position. What's going through your head? How, how do you, well, so before before we go through what is going through your heads, what shouldn't be going through your head? The last thing you should be thinking about is the potential consequences or right. the what ifs or what will happen if I crash. Um, I'm always I'm always kind of running through my mind before I before my run is the checklist like uh, you know your your positioning, what you're going to do on this run, how, you know, is all your equipment in check, like focusing on the things uh, like kind of a systematic approach, because it then makes you feel like you have a game plan and you're not just, well, willy nilly just going to push off. And I think that gives you a lot of confidence um, when you're about to begin the run. And secondly, uh, when, when you're about to go, we, typically put on our aerodynamic helmets. They, they're these uh, uh, kind of almost like Darth Vader looking style helmets. They have an inner helmet and an outer helmet. The inner helmet stays on and in case of a crash, the outer helmet will break off. Um, but the field of vision 
on these helmets is very small. You can only see a couple feet uh, out in front of you, even at high, high speeds, especially when you're in a tuck. So once you've put your helmet on, you've gone through your checklist, your, you know, your mental preparation checklist, your physical checklist, and you're in the start and you're about to go and they say go. Um, I mean, you're, you're fairly focused in. It's just, it happens in the, in the runs over in 20 seconds or something. It's honestly the hype before the run is, uh, is sometimes more of a rush um, than, than the run itself. Yes. So that's interesting. I didn't realize that it was over in 20 seconds. That's pretty fast, isn't it? So you don't have this problem where you get going and then your mind starts to slightly wander. You're able to keep your focus pretty yeah. pretty intensely for 20 seconds, I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, when I'm going over 100 miles an hour, I can see the undulations. I mean, you're so you're so focused in. You see all the undulations in the snow. Um you you know you feel the wind you feel feel the speed um and it's over it's just over before you know it i mean as soon as you go it's it's like bam you're at the bottom yeah so wow so so um this is not all you do though is it i mean this is this is just a thing i mean you also work in commerce and such like as well so you've got like a i was going to say normal day job but it's not really yes. a normal day job either is it so what else yes. is it that you get up to yeah so um Professionally, I also work as a manufacturing engineer for a company called Amatrol. Uh, they're a technical education manufacturer that produces training equipment for community colleges, high schools, trade schools, um, and as well as industry. Um, it's, a, it's a very rewarding job because uh, we are transforming the global workforce uh, and um, I think there's been a strong renewed interest in trade schools and developing skills for um, various aspects of industry. And, um, and the great thing too is, is from the engineering and uh, principles that, I've, that I use and have learned at Amatrol, I can apply that into the speed skiing um, side of my life as well. So they kind of go hand in hand. How, how, does that, how does that work? Yeah, so speed skiing is such a uh, heavily involved in equipment, uh, similar to automotive racing. I mean, all the fairings, the helmet, the skis, the bindings, the poles, it's such a, a, a heavy equipment involved sport. Having that background, both in design, manu, uh, design engineering and manufacturing engineering allows me to uh, be able to provide both product input um, for the different as or components of my equipment, and then also allows me to design uh, various pieces of of my equipment setup as well. Right. So in a sense, the worlds overlap. So so it's actually it's not as a dramatic difference as it might have been if you were I don't know ballet dancing and speed skate skiing. So Correct. something along those sorts of lines. So, so it's quite interesting. When I was thinking about it and looking at the equipment, it reminded me of um, extreme motorcycling because you're very much more exposed to the elements than, than say, um, motor racing or Formula One or NASCAR or anything like that. So how on earth did you get into this and why? What, what was the, where did it all come from? Yeah, so it was, it was kind of by chance, but um, I grew up doing alpine ski racing, um, the competitive 
uh, disciplines of swallow and giant swallow. And I did that um, in the juniors and um, had some success in that. But at the same time, I was playing uh, tennis um, in high school and then wound up uh, playing division one tennis for Southern Illinois University and Wright State University. So during that time, I actually took a hiatus from skiing. Um, I didn't, I wasn't doing any competitive skiing. I wasn't teaching skiing um, and was solely focused on tennis. And for, for anybody that knows anything about skiing and, and actually it goes for other sports, a lot of other sports as well. The, the career span in those sports is not very long. So by the time I was out of college, I was, you know, 25 years old, you know, most Alpine ski racers retire at, at the age of 30 or 32. Uh-huh. So that doesn't leave me a lot of time if I was going to try to uh, compete in um, Alpine ski racing. So I was looking for ways to get involved um, in competitive skiing again. Um, and that would provide me a long career to, um, to, to have several years to be able to, com- to compete and develop. And I started looking for through different disciplines. I looked at cross-country skiing. I actually even looked at, at ski jumping. Uh, there's several ski jumping hills in the Midwest area. And then I came across the sport of speed skiing and it looked really cool. And I started reaching out to uh, several of the people uh, both in the United States as well as that were involved in um, uh, different organizations uh, throughout Europe. And uh, what is great about the speed skiing community is everybody uh, is there to really help everybody. We're kind of, even though we're all competing against each other, we're all on the same team and we want to get more people interested in the sport. And it was just, it just felt like it meant to be. Everybody was helping me with understanding the uh, equipment needs and how to get into competitions. Mm -hmm. And and from that point on, I was just like, I want to do this and started, you know, acquiring the first year I didn't have any sponsors or anything. So just basically using used equipment and competed in a category called S2, which is the feeder category in the world cup competitions Uh, did really well in that. And uh, here I am this last year was my first year um, competing on the World Cup category and uh, hope to continue. Wow. So it, it strikes me that um, what you do, there are at least a thousand ways to die as you uh, are looking at that. So how do you manage a, so any sort of anxiety around the, around the process? Yeah, I, I used to not get as much anxiety when I started out, but actually this past year I had a crash. I wound up crashing over 100 miles an hour. Um, I walked away with it with just bruising, um, but it, it was not the physical side, but the mental side. It took a long time to get over um, the crash. And um, ever since then, when I've been training or even when I, when I'm not training for skiing and I'm just, you know, working on equipment or something, I sometimes kind of relive that crash or, or get anxiety about it. Um, but the, the biggest thing for me is once I understand why, why I crashed and then secondly, understand, um, how, how to prevent it, then I was finally able to let go of that experience. 
but until you can put a reason why you're doing it or what the cause is for me, um, that's what creates anxiety. I guess it's almost like an, like the unknown a little bit. Yes. Now, I'm wondering if the engineering mindset helps you here because famously, and don't take this the wrong way, please, because I don't mean yeah. it as an insult at all. You often find that engineers are very high intellectual, uh, literal, rational thinkers uh, and not prone to sort of massive flights of uh, fancy or imagination. Do you think that sort of helps you? I know there's I a terrible it, stereotype, and I do understand yeah. that. No, it's, it's definitely true, but I think it can help you sometimes because you logically think through problems. But sometimes I think it works against you because you overthink problems. You start to ask sometimes too many questions when in reality, the problem is, you know, you should simplify the problem. You're making more out of it than it is. So it works both ways for sure. And so how do you address the overthinking? What is it that you do? Um, for me, when I'm, when I am in a competition or um, even sometimes a training run before competition, um, I have a general like guide or checklist. Like I take notes and I refer to those to answer a lot of my questions. Mm. Um, and then also to um, I use a lot of like cues um, like it, it, one, for instance, is keeping the, backside of you know your helmet against your back keep you know look you know keep your back facing the sky or something of that nature so you're not because if you're doing if you're following that cue then a lot of other things are happening too in your mechanics yes um versus if you if you're like okay now adjust your you know your arm position to this point and your back to this point and all these other things you know, just use a simple cue that relates all those things. And you, and then after the race, I usually go back to thinking about the specifics, but when you're in the race, you don't have time, you know, to address all those issues. So simple little cues have helped me a lot. Yeah. I, I think that applies to anybody. I think that's a really brilliant. And actually what you've done is you've used technology, technology as a cue. So mm -hmm. you know, anything to do with the body is great for sort of helping the mind. Um, and I'm guessing it's a sport where uh, it's about doing your best and then measuring your best against somebody else's best rather than being a combative sport where, you know, actually dealing with another. So it doesn't matter what another person has done because they can't affect your score in a sense, can they? They can get in your head, I suppose, but there's nothing else they can do about that, is there? Correct. And I think that's that's part of the great thing about speed skiing is it's really your results and everything are, are all up to you. Your your speed goals, it, it is only you that can can achieve those goals and, and nobody else stands between you and those goals versus something like tennis. It's while it's not like a fighting or combat sport. I mean, you're competing against somebody else and that person does have a direct effect on whether you achieve the goals you're setting or not yes i mean they can literally beat you where in the sense that you have physically lost against them so part of the strategy has to make them be worse than they are where i guess in speed skating skiing i think it's all about being the best you can so and that's actually quite unusual isn't it because if you think about business and such like we very rarely think about how do we do the best we can we're often thinking about competitors and knocking them down rather than thinking well actually 
it, it's, it's actually quite useful to be all better. And I guess that's what the community is about, isn't it? It's about promoting the whole sport and making it exciting and interesting. Yes. Yeah. And it's, and it's the same thing too. Um, you know, working in uh, manufacturing, there's always challenges and problems and, yeah. and it's always a struggle of, of how you are accomplishing these goals with limited resources and um, being able to effectively, you know, get production and, and create a quality product. So um, I think both go hand in hand, not just from the technical side, but also from, uh, a mental side as well yes and I guess it's about being organized and well it sounds to me like you're a person that has a passion in both camps so actually it's not hard for you to switch from one world to the other or, or maybe that's an oversimplification uh, yeah it's a it's very interesting because it's like as soon as I get done with you know a day at, at work I'm either there's a resort uh, about an hour and a half to two hours away the season typically runs from November to late March. And that's where I train. So, I mean, it's like, it's kind of like I change, change suits and, you know, on to the next task. Um, but the, the days can definitely sometimes merge together for sure. Wow. So if um, people would like to find out more about you and the work you do and such like, how can they do that, Jacob? Yeah, so there's a lot of great resources. Um, you can uh, contact me directly or, or go to my site. It's uh, jacobperkins.org. Um, there is also um, speedski.com is a great use uh, resource for uh, finding out about speed ski equipment. Um, and then the uh, international website as well, fist.com. They are the governing body for all Olympic snow sports and they uh preside over speed skiing so you can reach out to them as well for any questions wow so jacob perkins is the person to have a look at if you're thinking of throwing yourself down the side of a mountainside and um conquering your fears and coming back from crashes because i think actually that's been that's quite interesting the way you've been able to lay that trauma behind you it's very interesting the way you've done that so, um, well, thank you for spending time with us today, Jacob. I'm going to I'm going to have a little bit more of a look around. I don't know much about the sports. Sounds so the combination of um, high geekery, lots of technology, and lots of speed and random um, thrills and spills sounds like something that's worth investigating further. Yes, yeah. Well, thank you so much, um, and I appreciate you for having me on your podcast, Doctor Russell Thackeray. Yeah, no problem at all. Thank you so much for joining us. You take care. Yes, you too. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcasts for show notes or follow the links and you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers tools and resources including free articles and ebooks for those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively you can find our new patreon page at patreon.com then search for resilience unraveled i look forward to being in your ear next time around take care